please stay right where you are because it's time for GeorgiaCarry.org radio with Doug and Jesse King. GeorgiaCarry.org is Georgia's no compromise voice for gun owners. Stay tuned for valuable information on protecting your Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. And now, your host for GeorgiaCarry.org radio, Doug and Jesse King. Good morning, everybody. Yes, this is the GeorgiaCarry.org radio hour. I am your host, Doug King, and I, I want to start off by issuing just a brief warning because today's topics are not going to be something that you necessarily want to sit and listen to with your smaller children. Um, there's not going to be any foul language. There's not going to be anything that is grossly inappropriate, but uh, some of the t- topics today may be things that you have not yet had to discuss with your children and they may not be suited for. I would not have my six-year-old and and eight-year-old sit in on today's broadcast. I would not have them listen to today's show. So this might be one that you want to listen to with your headphones on. This might be one that uh, if you are riding in the car with, with your preschoolers that you just don't really want to go over. So I'm giving you fair warning. There's my one minute, and if you join in the middle of the show, then my sincerest apologies. But... This has been a historic week, and historic things have happened. Um, First off, I need to talk a little bit about Trump's election. Then I want to talk about the protesters. And finally, I want to give Trump some advice on what he needs to do to accomplish some of the goals that he stated in his candidacy that people are now saying just don't seem feasible or don't seem possible. And I think that I can give some good guidance to anyone who's willing to listen. Uh, We're here in Atlanta, maybe Newt and maybe Bob Barr are listening this morning, and it would be a good opportunity to get a lot of things off of our chests as far as this candidacy and the upcoming presidency and the way things that can go or or should go. So first off, um, I need to admit something that's rather difficult for me to admit, but that I was wrong about the election. Now, As anyone who's listened to this show or who knows me personally knows, I have since about December of 2015 been predicting a Trump victory. I have been predicting a Trump landslide where he would have at least 296 electoral votes uh, at the end of it um, without too much trouble. And everyone said that I was insane, and everyone said that there was no way that that could possibly happen, and everyone has decried me and and berated me for almost a solid year over my predictions. But they came true on Tuesday night and Wednesday morning. At about 3 o'clock in the morning Wednesday, it was all over. Trump had won. I think he's up to a grand total of 305 or 306 electoral votes. It's an electoral landslide. The popular vote is within... What, a hundred thousand people, which we probably have made up with, with the, the voters in, um, the Oakland Cemetery here in Atlanta and whatever the big cemetery is in Chicago for Hillary. I mean, those were probably the ones that put her up over the edge as far as the popular vote. So it was a dead heat in the popular vote. Now that is where I was wrong. And that is the problem with America today and what I am taking as my lessons from the 2016 election. And I think that these are lessons that need to be heeded by every political party and every voter in America. And notice I say voter and not citizen because there is a vast divide between voters and citizens. Now what I had been predicting to happen was a a Trump landslide. 
And while no one believed in that, I sure did. And I accept graciously all of the apologies from the people who were big enough men and women to come and apologize to me for calling me an idiot or a liar or delusional that Trump would win following his landslide electoral win. But the what I anticipated happening was not just a, a landslide win, but a landslide popular vote win. In fact, Trump got like 48.5 or 48.6 of the popular vote. I was predicting somewhere between 55 and 62. Uh, sometimes I think I said 57 and 62. In fact, a couple of people said no president has ever gotten 62%, and that's not true. Four of them had in, in, in America's history. But you know, like Newt Gingrich, I'm I'm a bit of a historian. I'm a political science and history double major. These are things that are near and dear to my heart, and I actually know fairly well. So when it comes time to discuss things like whether or not there we've gotten 60% of the popular vote prior, I, I know. And so it's not worth arguing about because I know. Now, looking back, um, my prediction of the high turnout for the popular vote was based on what I like to think of as the Ventura effect. When Jesse Ventura won in Minnesota, he won because a whole bunch of people who never voted and never thought about voting and never wanted to vote turned out. And that's what I was anticipating to happen in this election. I expected the Republicans to pull about 30% and the Democrats to pull about 30%, but about 35 or 40% of a whole bunch of people who had never, ever voted before would register turnout and poof, there would be this landslide of the popular vote as well. And that didn't happen. The numbers and the, the way the, the voting increased increased pretty proportional to population growth over the last four to eight years and match up with what kind of is on par for voter turnout. And in that way, I completely missed the ball. I figured there would be a popular uprising of support that just didn't materialize. Instead, what did we have? We had the Republicans turn out for the Republican and the Democrats turn out for the Democrats and the people who don't show up and didn't show up. And that's it. That really is just it for this election. The people who don't vote didn't show up for this any more than they didn't show up for anyone else. In fact, if we go back and look at the historic presidency of Barack Hussein Obama and his landslide victory back in 2008, the numbers are just about on par subtracting population growth from that election to this election, which means that he didn't bring out any mass of people who don't normally vote either. So you've got... An election here that shows that if you are a historic black Democratic candidate, you can't get anybody else to come out to the polls. If you are a historic Republican businessman, non-political, anti-establishment party candidate, you can't get anybody else to come out to the polls. When I went around trying to get elected, I couldn't get anybody else to come out to the polls. The people who showed up to elect the county commissioner in Bartow, which was done in, in the Republican primary offset, was less than 5,000 people. There are 5,000 people who, in the entire county of Bartow who give a crap about the politics and who's going to be leading their county. And that's just it. There is, there is no extra. The, that, the, the 50% of people who didn't bother to come vote in the election will never get bothered to come vote in election. They don't matter. They don't count. They aren't willing to stand up and be counted. And so for all practical political purposes, they simply do not exist. If that's true, and I, this election I think is a 
proof positive. If you combine what happened in 2008 and what happened in 2016, you have proof positive that those people cannot get motivated to come out to a poll to save their life. There is nobody out there. There is nobody in heaven or earth who can motivate those people to go and become voters. If that's the, the, the real lesson, then there is no hope for third parties. I'm sorry. I, I believed in it. I hoped for it. I wanted it. But without a groundswell of somebody, and, and the people that the Libertarian Party would court, or the Green Party, or the Constitutional Party, but I'm more knowledgeable of the Libertarian Party, the people the Libertarian Party would court and bring out and get to the polls are the people who will not come to the polls. You're not going to get the diehard Republicans to suddenly go to the Libertarian Party. They tried. They tried this election. They thought they had it. They thought they had this brilliant plan because Donald Trump was an outsider and a, a third party person and, and a nut job that they would run two seasoned political candidates who had experience and who were middle of the road. Bill Weld was a good Democrat and, and Gary Johnson, when he was governor, was a good Republican. And between the two of them, they're a middle of the road libertarian party candidate with experienced politicians and they should pick up Republicans and Democrats, right? You you should be able to get Bill Well to pull in all the Bernie supporters and um, Johnson to pull in all the never Trumpers. And between the never Trumpers and the Bernie Sanders supporters, you've got a coalition that can take the White House and put a third party in power. And Gary Johnson and, and his good buddy Bill Weld pulled in a whopping three percent. One of the worst numbers I've seen in ages. I, I was expecting them to pull at least seven percent. It didn't, it didn't even come close. It wasn't even half that. So you can't motivate the non-voters to come out. So what does that mean? Well, this has been a losing strategy for a couple of decades for the Republican Party. The Republican Party has been invested in this theory of getting people who will not vote to vote. It's kind of like getting people who will not spend money to buy you a present or people who, um, I don't know, I, I don't want to go down that analogy too far. But it's trying to get people who won't do certain things to do it for you, <laughs> if you want to draw a fine conclusion. It's kind of like a political sexual assault, in a way. People who just won't do it, and you're going to force them to do it for you. That's really where we are. So the Republicans would go over and over and say, okay, well, the base is here. The base is turning out. We've got the base. Now we've got to court the middle. Who's the middle? The middle are the people who don't come out. So if we run to the middle and act like we are crossing the aisle and, and we're going to be good Republicans and work with the other side, then we can get these middle voters to show up and vote for us because we're the, the compromise team and they'll go for that and then we'll win the election. And election after election after election after election, they lost. Lost, 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 lost. Because they kept going for the middle of the road and trying to court people who will not vote to be their constituents. And they won't vote and they won't do it and it doesn't matter and they don't count. Those people do not count because they do not show up at the polls, so they don't get a voice. If they start showing up, they could count. But until they do, they don't count. They won't show up because they're disaffected with the system, and we have got to go to commercial break. I'll be right back. And now, back to GeorgiaCarry.org Radio with Doug and Jesse King. Welcome back, everybody. So when I took the break, I was talking about the Republican Party's 
failed theory of running to the middle to try to get independent voters to vote for them to win the election. So let's look at what Trump did this time. Trump, of course, you saw him make that great run to the middle, you know, where he abandoned talking about illegal immigrants and abandoned talking about abolishing Obamacare and started talking about working with the Democrats in Congress, right? I mean, the last three weeks of the election. No, no, he didn't. He went, he doubled down, just like he'd done in the primaries and like he'd done all the way through. He doubled down and said, no, we're going to run a hard, hard right campaign. We're going to lock you up. We're going to appoint a special prosecutor. You're a scoundrel. You're a cheat. You're crooked. My opponent is an awful, nasty woman. And just run and run and run and run it into the ground. And with that, there was not a single middle-of-the-road voter who turned out for Trump. And yet he won. The failed strategy of trying to get non-voters to vote is dead. What works is appealing to a base. Your base are the people who are politically motivated enough to show up and vote. And so the Democrats are going to turn harder and harder to the left. The Republicans are going to turn harder and harder to the right in order to get the people who actually bother to show up to come show up and vote. And the people who show up to vote want either a hard right or a hard left view. It's about 50-50 straight down the line. There's about 1% in the middle that says, fooey on both of you guys. I don't care what you say. I'm going to go march off in my own direction. That is the libertarian green constitution parties. But as far as ones who actually are willing to bother to show up to the polls to vote, they are inconsequential in the grand scheme of things and will not support either side's candidates. So they are also irrelevant. So what works is appealing to a base, appealing to a base hard and solid, and going to that base and saying, base, I am your guy. I have your best interests at heart. I will appoint this, the Supreme Court justices you want. I will do what you think, and that will be that. And that will win an election, and that's the only way to win elections right now in this country, because the, the other 50% doesn't show up, they don't spend, they don't partake, They're not those kind of people, and you can't make them be that. So what's left? Okay, well, I want to talk a little bit about the protests that are going on. And this is the part where you really want to be careful with your younger children. If you've got younger children listening, this might be a good time to tune out. Okay? So protesters out there protesting, are they protesting that something illegal happened? No. Are they protesting that something immoral happened? No. Are they protesting something horrible happening? Not really. What are they protesting? That they lost. They are mad as hell that they lost an election, and they want something done about it. Well, you know what? That's just the way it works. There are winners, and there are losers, and you back a losing horse, sometimes you lose. Now, Rudyard Kipling said it best that if a man makes a heap of all his winnings and risks it on a turn or pitch a toss and loses and never breathes a word about his loss, then you will be a man, my son. Well, you know what? We don't have anyone who's willing to be a man. They're not willing to risk it all and lose and start again and never breathe a word about their loss. They're just not willing to. They want to whine and complain and bemoan their station because this is the end of the world that their candidate didn't win. Well, you know what? I don't care. And nobody cares. Everyone who's giving you airtime and TV time and FaceTime because of your protests are just as much of a loser as Hillary Clinton is. And there is no reason for it. And here's what I want to talk about. This is what's getting me, okay? 
You want to talk about we aren't going to heal. We can't come together. We can't support President Trump. We can't be a part of this. We've got to stand up for our rights. We're going to make it heard that we've been wronged. I want to talk about Fomble Took. I want to talk about Fomble Took. What in the world is Fomble Took? It is... Uh, in Sierra Leone, a movement that translates family talk, family talk to save the nation of Sierra Leone. Do you know what happened in Sierra Leone? Sierra Leone had a civil war that lasted 11 years from roughly 1991 through 2002. In this civil war, the RUF, Revolutionary United Front, was the main antagonist to the duly elected government and they conducted war crimes that are unbelievable let me give you a couple of examples esther and joseph were family members who were caught in the horrors of the war at age 12 esther was captured by rebels and raped by 15 men among them was her uncle joseph he too had been caught by the rebels and ordered to rape esther or be killed Sabar and Namaya were best friends. They lived, their lives were forever changed by the conflict. Rebel forces turned the two boys on each other, forcing Namaya to beat his best friend so severely that he crippled him for life, then forcing him to cut the throat of his best friend's father. The villagers of Fodor and Tambanjo and the native son who killed and beheaded 17 members of his own clan. Okay? John Kolker, a Sierra Leonean, put together a video about Fambo Tuck and the process of healing that is going on in the nation of Sierra Leone. These, these are people who have let's say real grievances against their fellow Sierra, their fellow countrymen. Not that they elected a president they didn't like, but that they brutally raped, murdered, decapitated, amputated their fellow countrymen. That they took people and forced them at gunpoint to rape family members, to cut off the hands of children at age six, leaving them forever dismembered as a living, walking reminder of what it meant to stand up against the United Revolutionary Front? And what are the people in Sierra Leone doing now? Are they marching in protest? Are they calling for the deaths of all the members of the RUF? Are they demanding justice? No, they're sitting down. That's what Fambul Tuk means. They're sitting down face to face with the people who raped them, who killed their family members, who amputated their limbs, their hands, their legs, their noses. And they're learning to forgive each other. The whole principle, the entire process of the war crimes tribunals and these individual one-on-one efforts is to create a sense of forgiveness and to have the nation heal and move on. Now, these brave men and women in Africa who are willing to sit down across a table, one from another, from the people who have done such grave injustices and committed such heinous crimes against them, 
If they are willing to sit down and talk it through and forgive each other and hug each other, maybe with only one arm, and move on for the good of a nation, what on earth is wrong with our country? What on earth is wrong with Americans? How in the name, and I'm not taking God's name in vain, don't take this the wrong way, but how in God's name can we sit here and say we are a Christian nation, or we are Christians, or we are good moral people, and yet we protest a presidency in a free and fair election, while in other parts of the world, rapists and murderers are forgiven without protests, without hate, without animosity. What a privileged bunch we are. And how absolutely disgusting can we be? I want every person who even thought about protesting this election and I don't, I'm not against you standing up for your rights, right? You know, you voted for a Democrat for Congress and they got in. They're going to go in there. They're going to make it difficult for Trump to accomplish things. They're going to vote against him. Absolutely God-given right. Go for it. Be that person. Filibuster if you want in the Senate. I don't care. Stand up for what you believe in. Take up an issue on principles and policies, and that's awesome. But if you're going to go out there and protest that you lost an election, learn what it means to lose something in life. If you think that if you think that Trump is so bad that you want to get out of this country, go join the Peace Corps and go to Sierra Leone. And we'll look at those people and what they've been through and realize that you are a part of the greatest nation on earth. And this nation is going to be great again. And you have absolutely nothing to say about it. And there is no reason to protest. And there is no reason to go down that road of hate and animosity and self-righteousness and selfishness. And that's what it comes down to. It comes down to selfishness that they cannot see beyond themselves. And it is an affront it is a slap in the face to every single person in Sierra Leone, to every single person in South Africa, to every single person in Rwanda, to every single person who has suffered real tragedies, to every single person in Bosnia and Herzegovina, to every single person who has fought against communism on the other side of the, the Berlin Wall and on the other side of the Iron Curtain, for every person who has actually had to stand up for freedom— your protests are nothing but the, the, the self-righteous, selfish, in, self-interested twaddle from a bunch of children. I'm at a commercial break. I'll be right back. And now back to GeorgiaCarry.org radio with Doug and Jesse King. Welcome back, everybody. I'm calmer now. Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Doug King. And I am going to drop my rant about the protesters and move on to talking about some positive uh, applications for a Trump presidency. Some things that I think that Trump can do and get done and get done, in not, maybe not in his first 100 days, but definitely in his first term with ease. Now, his cabinet is going to be incredibly important. And there are some people, and I think that we really need up there helping advise the president. Now, Mr. Trump, with all due respects, you are not a politician. 
you know nothing about politics, you don't know how to get things done on the Hill, and you need people who can tell you how to get things done on the Hill. The best person to get stuff done on the Capitol Hill, the most qualified person to get stuff done on the Capitol Hill, the most intelligent man that we have right now who is a veteran of politics and policies and understands conservatism, understands right and wrong, understands history, is Newt Gingrich. Now, I've heard that Newt is on the short list for Secretary of State, and while Newt would be great in arguing with um, the diplomats from Iran and Russia and everywhere else around the world. And I think that he would be brilliant in that post. Please, Mr. Trump, keep him at home. Put him in a place where he can advise you and move things around and get things done on the Hill. Make him your person to go to for Congress. And let's start to have a real Speaker of the House again. We have a problem of a failure of leadership in this country, and I think that you, Mr. Trump, are going to have one heck of a time trying to get through the next four years because you, we have seen demonstrated that the leadership in the House and the Senate, the Republicans, are politicians through and through and not true conservatives, not true libertarians, no, have a belief in anything. They don't believe in liberty. They don't believe in conservatism. They don't believe in anything but themselves. And how else can you explain Paul Ryan doing a 180, flip-flopping like a fish out of water when you got elected? There isn't an explanation. And I know that you are a bigger man, Mr. President, and you are going to go up there and you are going to make friends and let bygones be bygones and start to work together for a better future. But that man will turn on you in a heartbeat. Anytime he feels the wind is blowing the wrong way, he will throw you under the bus. And I understand that you are too big of a man to get tossed. Yeah, he can push on you and shove on you, but you are not going to be budged. But you must understand what he is. Paul Ryan is not a man of principle. He is a man who is driven by the winds of chance and by the poles, and you cannot trust him to get anything done. You need a real leader who you can help get legislation pushed through. You need someone who can be the majority whip and get the legislation that you need in front of the members of Congress directly, and that man is Newt Gingrich. Keep him at home. Ben Carson was one of my top choices for president. I supported Ben Carson over you, Mr. Trump. And I think that you deserve to have the guidance and counsel and help of Ben Carson. Ben Carson is a good man. Ben Carson is a man who realized that you were going to win and wanted to guide and help and direct you. You need to make Ben Carson more than just Surgeon General. You need to put Ben Carson somewhere high up in your platform. I don't think that Ben Carson would make a very good Secretary of State. I don't want to see him in there negotiating. But I think that there are several departments that have to do with other areas where he could be a close advisor to you, Mr. President, and he should be in the upper levels of your cabinet. Now, I know a lot of people listening to this don't understand succession, but it goes president, vice president, speaker of the house. Then you start to go through the cabinet and the fir- and the age of the, the, the cabinet departments. The first person who takes over on, on number four on the list is secretary of state. So it's a pretty prestigious role to have, which is why secretary Clinton got it. But I don't really want to see Ben Carson in the role of negotiating with other countries. As good a man as he is, I don't think that he has the fire in his belly to put things down and to stand up to people. But I think that you need to have him in your cabinet. You need to have him high up in your cabinet. Now, there's been talk of Rudy Giuliani being the attorney general. And he is a former prosecutor and he is a learned man. But I think that Rudy Giuliani would make a far better secretary of state. 
I could see him getting in there and scrapping with other diplomats and other nations and making a real difference there. That would be my call, is to put him in Secretary of State. Or, conversely, to go back and ask Condoleezza Rice or Colin Powell to step up to those roles yet one more time and serve their country again. One way or the other, I think any of those choices would be good choices for Secretary of State. Giuliani needs to be in your cabinet. He is a good man who understands conservatism and he understands freedom and he needs to be someone who is there advising you. So those are my recommendations in the cabinet. Now, as far as some of your campaign promises, Mr. President, I think that there are a few things that have been overlooked, one of which is um, building the wall. You said that we will build the wall and Mexico will pay for it. And I heard Newt Gingrich say, well, he probably won't spend much time to make Mexico pay for it. I can tell you right now how you can make Mexico pay for it, and it will be an absolutely brilliant political move. All right? This is free advice, Mr. President. Take it for what it's worth. But did you know that the United States gives millions of dollars a year in foreign aid to Mexico? We subsidize Mexico. We give them cash money on the barrelhead every year. How much, you say? Well, it depends on the year. This year, in 2017, the projection is that we're going to give them $37 million. Now, that's a drop in the bucket. It's really not that exciting. But if you step back just a little bit, you'll see that last year it was $50 million, And going back to uh, 2008, we were giving somewhere a little over... $200 million a year. So let's take that and average it out over the last 10 years and come to that. We give about just a little less, about 150 to $175 million a year to Mexico in foreign aid. You have the ability to allocate how money in foreign aid, which is allocated for spending in certain countries, is divvied up. And my argument would be is that you enact an executive order right off the bat that says all foreign aid appropriated by Congress to Mexico will be used to build a wall between Mexico and the United States. It'll be Mexico's money. It was allocated by Congress to give to Mexico, and we're going to give it to them. We're going to stack it up in brick by brick right along our border, and you can thank us for it later. I think that that's the way we get Mexico to pay for the wall. We use our own foreign aid that we give to them every year. It's their money. We give it to them. They use it to buy whatever they buy in a country that where the average sal or the average salary for a working person is ten thousand dollars a year. We give them two hundred million dollars for them to spend willy nilly however they wish. And I think that we need to continue our foreign aid promise and stack the money right up on the border. That is how you get Mexico to pay for the wall, that it will work to solve all of the problems concerning the wall and how to finance it and meet your campaign pledge. The second thing you absolutely must do is overturn all of the executive orders of Barack Obama. On day one, you need to go in there and wipe them out one by one by one and get rid of the executive orders that have done things like transgender bathrooms, the horrible school lunch program, and DARPCA. We need to start to enforce our immigration laws. You know that. We all know that, Mr. President. You know how to do it. Your campaign pledge to, re to repeal President Obama's um, executive orders on day one needs to be enacted swiftly and surely. You also promised us nationwide, conce nationwide concealed carry. And while I think that in large part that would be a fear victory because states like California will simply repeal their carry laws and no one will be allowed to carry in California – that's fine with me. Do it, Mr. President. 
push through that bill and let us have it just as good as a driver's license so that we can carry anywhere we go, especially our nation's capital. It will sadden my heart to think that I can't not carry to the the inauguration or cannot carry around in D.C. after the inauguration because of draconian and insane laws that do not protect people. But, Mr. Trump, you said that you would do it, and I'm going to hold you to that. I don't hold a lot of politicians to a lot of much anymore. I don't. I feel like I'm a an orphan out here on on Christmas Day, hoping that I get something from the rich and powerful who pass by me. But the truth is, is that you said you would do that, and I think that you will. And I hope that you will hold to your word and get that pushed through, if nothing else. Finally, we've got health care reform. And just the other day, you said that your health care reform plan involved allowing to deduct the entire premium from your taxes. Thank you, Mr. President. Now, as a private business owner, I've been able to do that all the way up until Obama took that right away from me. And I think that that is a very important thing. Whatever you spend on health insurance should be instant deduction against your taxable income. Poof. It's worth it. The second thing you said you were going to do is tear down the walls that keeps states from offering health insurance from other states. End the monopolies, give it a free market system. Uh, these are, are wonderful things. The repealing and replacing of Obamacare with a real system that allows Americans to buy insurance on an open market is fantastic. The only thing that I would ask you to keep is a prohibition that, that insurance companies can, can turn people down for pre-existing conditions. Let us with diabetes, let us who have asthma, let us who have all of these chronic illnesses still be allowed to purchase insurance at reasonable rates. But more people will come into the market, more people will be buying insurance when insurance is a tax deduction, when insurance is reasonable, when you can shop market plans from anywhere in the U.S. These are great advances, and thank you, Mr. President, for taking the lead and being responsible and starting this even though you have two months before you take office. Folks, we're at a commercial break again. Um, I will be right back. And now, back to GeorgiaCarry.org Radio with Doug and Jesse King. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, this is your host, Doug King. I have been talking... All day today about Donald Trump's historic win and and the turning around of the American way of life and the American economy. Look what happened to the stock market. Thursday night when the stock market closed, it was the record high close in history. The market is swelling and beaming with pride. We have someone in the office that the markets can trust, will do the right thing. We have someone in the office, finally, where real – and I mean, he laid out his – his health care plan, right? And health stocks boomed because people know that this is good for the country. And yet we have people protesting because they don't understand what, what real tragedy is. And I, I think that this has been one of the hardest shows I've ever done, folks, to be honest with you, because there is so much emotion tied up in, in my sickened state over what America has become. And I'm sorry, Barack Obama did not destroy this country. He didn't even make it a worse place to live. But the people who are growing up right now, the people who think that Obama should give them a free phone or they're going to get some of that Obama money, those people 
are disgusting creatures who are just destroying the fabric of this country. And anyone who panders to them and says, I'm going to give you free this or free that, vote for me, are just the same. It is a, a society of, of a detrimental society, a society based on what can this country do for me. It's time for people to stand up like, and, and, and listen to the voice of history. John F. Kennedy said, ask not what your country can do for you. And yet everyone today asks, gimme, gimme, gimme. Gimme, gimme, gimme. That's all that this country has become. And that's sickening. It just is. You know that John F. Kennedy and Herbert Hoover share one thing in common with Donald Trump? They are the only three people of, of the American presidency who have refused the presidential salary. You know, John F. Kennedy was seen as being a man of the people. He was about the richest rich kiss, kid there ever was. Richie Rich, John F. Kennedy, kind of the same boat. And he was groomed to become president from an early age. Yet people think of him in these glowing terms as being the people's president and a symbol of true democracy and and new hope and freedom. Well, Donald Trump is all of those things and more. And for everyone who has turned on me, turned their back on me, criticized me, berated me, spat on me for my support of Donald Trump, you'll see. In four years, you'll see. This country will be in a much better place. The economy will be in a better place. It'll be a much brighter future without people like George W. Bush and Barack Obama spending us into a hole. The, the world will be a safer place. America will be a happier place. And it's not going to be like you think it is. Folks, we've got bigger fights coming up ahead. Donald Trump is going to have some real fights in his first 100 days as he tries to teach Congress what it means to stand up for principles and do, do what you said you were going to do and not just flip-flop whichever way the polls are blowing. But we've got people right here who have just were elected and are going to take seats in the General Assembly. We've got someone here sitting in the governor's mansion who does not care about keeping word or making sure the laws are put on the books like House Bill 826. We have people who are not going to be held accountable unless you and I do it. And I can do my part. I'm going to be here every week as long as they keep allowing me on the station until they lock the door. I'm going to be here talking to you and everyone else who will listen about what needs to be done, not just for our country, but for our state and for our children. As far as our rights go, including our Second Amendment rights, I know that that's supposed to be the focus, but good night, people. we got to deal with these issues as they come up, right? I mean, these are two important things to just let go and just let talking heads who have their own agendas rant on about in CNN. Van Jones, I'm sorry, dude, grow a pair. You know how you tell your children what happened last night? You tell them that America is going to be great again. Thank you. And that's it. You know how I told my children with tears in my eyes of joy as they cheered. My son went to bed Tuesday night praying, dear Jesus, let Donald Trump win. And I thank God that this country has enough sense left about it to have voted in someone who's willing to make the changes necessary to repeal back eight years of rampant liberalism and set this country on the right course. But we have more work to do, and you need to be a member of GeorgiaCarry.org. The only way to become a member is you got to 
buy in for 20 bucks a year or $500 for a lifetime. It's a good investment either way. You'll get legislative updates to your email. You'll know which congressmen to call, which senators to call, which representatives to call, which legislatures to call, and which governors need a swift kick in the butt to get something done. You will know where to be, when to be, when the committing hearings are. You'll know exactly what's going on, and you've got to get out there. You've got to make these phone calls. You've got to be there in line. You've got to be standing out there letting your voice be heard as the votes go down. Once it's over, it's over. Protesting the day after the election doesn't matter for the election. Protesting the day after the bill is vetoed doesn't do you a bit of good. But you need to be out there beforehand. You need to be in the trenches. You need to be fighting. You need to make this country turn around. If we're going to make America great again, we're going to have to do it one vote at a time in the Georgia State Assembly. You need to be down there. You need to be talking to your legislatures. You need to hold them accountable. You need to get new laws passed. We need constitutional carry. We need to make this country free. We need to be able to walk without worrying about what the police are doing. We need to keep control of local schools. Thank you, Georgia. Thank you for voting down, turning over public schools to the governor's control, a governor who won't even put the laws on the books. Thank you for showing him that he is not in charge of this state, but the people are. I am sorely disappointed the other ones passed. The, the idea of pulling the JQC and making it accountable to the legislature is a horrible, horrible thing. The JQC was doing good work in keeping judges accountable, and it's, it's a shame. I mean, you went to the ballots. You just saw that most judges run unopposed. Most politicians run unopposed in Georgia because you can't get on the ballot. No libertarian can get on the ballot. Democrats are afraid to run. It's just the way it is. Well, the only way to have some checks and balances when the entire electoral process is locked up, bought, lock, stock, and barrel bought by a major political party is to have independent commissions be able to look in for misconduct. And that's what the JQC was doing. Now it's going to become a wing of the Republican Party. And I am sick and tired of that, too. But there's only one battle at a time. So we need to fight, and we need to fight hard. If the legislature is going to control who gets to be a judge and who doesn't, we need to keep the legislature well aware that we are watching every move they make and everything they do. It needs to be like like a police song. Every move you make, every step you take, I'll be watching you. And that's what we need to do with this legislative session. You've got to become a GeorgiaCarry.org member to know what's going on and when it's going on and how to be there and what to do. So go to www.georgiacarry.org. Sign up today. Top left-hand corner, click Join Now. Go to a gun show. Go to a festival. A lot of the parades this fall and this Christmas that we're going to be coming up on. Do you know that it's only two weeks to Thanksgiving, folks? It's 45 days or so till Christmas. I mean, the, the year's almost over. We are barreling it down to the end of 2016. <coughs> It's time to become a member and start to get your emails so you know where to be come January. Um, as we get into December, <coughs> we'll be reaching out to Jerry Henry again to talk about the upcoming legislative session, see if we can't get a few legislators on just before the session gets started, try to get some input on what's going to be happening and when, try to give you as much info as we can through this show. But uh, as far as day-to-day changes, what committees are meeting now or has been rescheduled tomorrow or it was tomorrow and has been rescheduled to five minutes and you need to get down here, the only way you're going to know that is if you're getting the emails. So you got to join up. Go to a chapter meeting. Go to the convention next August, but join up and have fun and enjoy some time with your family and, and meet like-minded people and, and just start to build the camaraderie that we as a gun community need to have in order to make a difference in this co- country and this culture. 
Now, folks, I, I've given the president some direct advice on what he needs to do to pay for his wall and, and how his cabinet needs to be shaped and what I expect. And those are things that I honestly am predicting are the right way to do it and, and the way it should be done. I also want to go out on a limb here and suggest one more thing. That's just Doug's Chris, Christmas wish. If I could have one piece of legislation that would roll through, it would be a major overhaul of the National Firearms Act, allowing suppressors to be purchased without having to be NFA registered, allowing short barrel shotguns and short barrel rifles to be purchased without having to be registered, and removing the Hughes Amendment to allow the production of new machine guns. Now, I think that the last part of that may be the most uphill battle of all and that even the Republicans wouldn't come out and support it. Lord knows that the NRA won't either. But I think that those are necessary things to promote freedom and security in this country, and you should be able to buy a machine gun without having to pay $50,000 for a gun that's only worth about 800 You should be able to buy a suppressor or a short barrel rifle or a shotgun without having to pay an extra tax. It, it is just abhorrent that we do that and mr president if you would like to give me a, a small token of gratitude for the the months and months of support bringing my children out to see you and meet you all of the the airtime that i've given you do that for the citizens of this great country let us be free again folks it's been Veterans Day this week. It's been a historic election. It's been the birth uh, birthday of the Marine Corps, the birthday of my daughter, and many others. I hope that everybody has a good weekend, and I will be back next week with something topic a little more tame and a little more family-friendly. Until then, same bat time, same bat channel. This has been GeorgiaCarry.org Radio with Doug and Jesse King. GeorgiaCarry.org is Georgia's no-compromise voice for gun owners. Tune in each week for valuable information on protecting your Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. GeorgiaCarry.org Radio, Saturday mornings at 8 on News Talk 1160, the talk of the town.